Well, thank you. It is a, a great privilege to be with you, and not just to be with you, but to bring God's Word to His people. Um, we're going to be reading from Psalm 77, and as Jeremiah said, Psalm 77 is, is a psalm that it actually deals with the depth of human emotion, especially in, as believers. Um, the reason why we're looking at Psalm 77 today it comes in some ways from a greater appreciation that I've gained for the Psalms over the past year. It really began last summer. We had a missionary retreat for the youth of World Witness in France. And through this process, we brought someone in to, to teach specifically on the Psalms to our youth. Because the Psalms, in many ways, are a reflection of all of the emotions and all of the experiences that the people of God have and it's instruction for how we can relate to our creator and how we can receive from him to understand that he really does care for us. So as we look at today's psalm, prepare your hearts because God is with us in good times and in bad and as we read this psalm we will see just how that plays out. So before we read let's pray. Dear God, we come to you, we give you thanks that you have given us your word, that you have given us your spirit, that you have given us your son to redeem us and to purchase us, to shepherd us and to walk with us. God, right now as we approach your word, help us to consider the fears and doubts that we have and help us to look to Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, and help us to love you more and more as we look to your word today. God, go with us and help us in Jesus' name. Amen. We now turn to Psalm 77. Now, if you look, as we begin this, it says, To the choir master, according to Jeduthun, a psalm of Asaph. So as you read this, you must remember that this is a psalm that is directed to the choir master, to be sung by the people of God. Let's read. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago, I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. 
the clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea. Your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Now as we look at this psalm, we can see that it has a definite trajectory. As you begin the psalm, there is a trajectory of despair as Asaph, the author, is looking at circumstances and he's making a complaint and he's expressing what he's actually experiencing and feeling in his life. And this brings questions about the character of God. And once he asks those questions of the character of God, he begins to rise from despair. So that's the general trajectory of this passage. But there are things that we can learn and there are things that we should apply to our own lives. So as we begin this, I want to begin with verse 1 to pay attention. Because it says, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and He will hear me. In this life, we have trouble. As believers, as the children of God, we cry out along with the psalmist, trusting that we will be heard. In many ways, we can reflect back to Jesus, and as it's referred to in Hebrews chapter 5, it says that in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. So as we look at this psalm, it has some dark moments in it, but it begins in verse 1, letting us know that the realities of the Christian life must be addressed within the framework of faith. Because it says that he will cry out and he knows and trusts that he will be heard by his God. So, setting the framework of faith, we begin to look at the next few verses to understand that he is experiencing trouble. Now, if you look at these verses 2 through 4, he is apparently very troubled. It's, in some ways, it's a blessing to us that we don't know the specific circumstances of what is troubling Asaph. It could be personal problems in his own life. It could be illness. It could be sin. It could be the, the sins of the nation of Israel that are troubling this man. But we don't get to know the details. What we do get to know is what he is feeling and what he is experiencing. Because it says that he... In the day of his trouble, he's seeking the Lord. He stretches out his hand at night without wearying. He's, his soul refuses to be comforted. He is experiencing an inner turmoil that is painful. He's in anguish. He doesn't know what to do, yet he's still extending his hand. He won't be comforted because he's looking to his God. Now, as we consider this, we look at kind of what's going on in our own day. And we have to understand that the experience of trouble is not something that's just relegated to believers or just relegated to unbelievers. Trouble comes for everyone. Now, as we consider all of this, 
we have to understand that this trouble as believers is addressed through the framework of faith. Now, as we look at the year 2020, what have we experienced so far? In many ways, nothing but trouble. We've experienced everything from COVID at the beginning of the year to now protests in the street, the burning of buildings and police cars, people being killed on the streets. The fabric of our society is seemingly falling apart. Now, this may cause you much trouble. It may cause you great angst in your spirit. At the same time, you may be experiencing problems that are a little bit closer to home. It could be illness in your family. It could be trouble with your finances, the loss of a job, the loss of loved ones, uncertainty of the future, and these things weigh upon us. So as we look at this psalm, I am thankful that we aren't given the specifics of what is troubling Asaph. Because as we look at our own lives, we have trouble on all sides in our society, in our personal lives, in our private lives, and we don't know what to do. Because in many ways, we feel like Asaph. He's got his hand extended. He doesn't know where his relief is going to come from. Now, it's interesting because in verse 1, it says, he cries out to the Lord and he knows that he will be heard. And I want to draw a contrast here. Because people who do not know the sovereign Lord who created all things and sustains all things, they experience trouble in this life as well. When they cry out, they have no expectation that they are being heard. So in many ways, the troubles of this life drive them to absolute despair. And as such, this despair can result in what we see happening in our society with, with rage and aggression. Because there's no hope, because they aren't operating, they aren't even trying to figure out how to live within a framework of faith. Now we as Christians can look at the troubles that Asaph is experiencing and we can say, I do know the sovereign creator, the Lord who sustains all things, the Lord who cares for all things. And as such, when I experience the troubles of this life, when you experience the troubles of this life, you are able to cry out along with Asaph, trusting that you will be heard and that your loving, sovereign Lord will comfort you and care for you. Now, these are the realities that are being established through the Word here, but the question that I have is, how are you responding to the troubles of this life in this very moment? When you turn on the news, what is your reaction? When you are looking at your finances and all of these other horrible things that can happen and are happening as we, we hear the tales, how are you responding? When troubles fall on you, when your life doesn't turn out the way it is, when you find yourself like Asaph, lying in bed, eyes open, arm extended, not knowing where the peace will come from, how do you respond? Are you responding like those who do not know the sovereign Lord? who cry out with no expectation of being heard? Or do you cry out with the expectation that your Redeemer hears you, loves you, and will provide for you? This is a question. This is what's being established at the beginning of this psalm. Now, it's interesting as, as this develops, 
Because we get to verses 5 through 10 and it develops. So in, in verses 1 through 4, he's laying out his, his current situation, what he's feeling. And then, as with most of us in these situations, we feel something powerful that's, that's troubling, and we say, well, I feel like I need to do something. There's something that I must do to get this burden off of me. So what does he do? He says, I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. As he does this, he's looking back at the past because when we find ourselves in troubling circumstances in the present, it's natural for our minds to go, well, let me, let me go back to the past. Let me remember the good old days of how things used to be. And let me seek some sort of solace, some sort of, of rest and consolation through remembering the past. Now, in many ways, it's interesting because he says, let me remember my song in the night. Now, as we consider this, this idea of songs in the night, why is it that songs in the night would be comforting? As we know, he already said that he's awake in the middle of the night. He's not resting. He's crying out. And his, his mind is saying, well, let me call upon a song in the night. And we're not talking about where he's pulling up on his, his phone or his computer uh, some sort of Spotify mood-lifting playlist. No. He is saying, Lord, let me recall a song to remind me of who you are and who I am. In many ways, this is why we have the Psalter. This is why we sing psalms. As you look through the entire book of psalms, this is a songbook for God's people to be able to recall on these truths of God. So as he begins to, to recall and remember and meditate, he, he's seeking for something from the past that will call to mind, something that will bring him comfort. But what is the result as he, as he tries to remember the songs in the night? In many ways, our expectation and hope is that this will all turn out like Paul and Silas in Acts 16, where they're stuck in prison. And it says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And what's the next thing that happens? An earthquake comes, shakes the jail, and they are loosed from their bonds. This is our desire. I, I want that song in the night. When the troubles come, I want to sing that song that produces me instant liberation from my troubles. In many ways, this is why we teach our children and why we teach our own selves songs. I mean, I, I think about my own children. We have little songs. There's a, a, there's a little group that I commend to you. It's, it's called Seeds Family Worship, and it's basic scripture set to song, and we have songs that we've sung with our children for years, like Philippians 4, 6 through 7, it's do not be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and thanksgiving, present your requests to God. These basic little songs that you call to mind and you go, yes, that's what I want. I want the peace. But what happens in this psalm? It says that he calls these things to mind. He's recalling the goodness and the promises and all of the, the, the promises that he reads in Scripture, and he's actually left more troubled. Because it says, beginning in verse 6, it says, he says, let me remember my song in the night, let me meditate in my heart. And as he does this, it says, 
Then my spirit made a diligent search. So his spirit does a diligent search, begins to reflect upon all of the good promises that we have in Scripture about our God. But because his circumstances haven't changed, he actually begins to ask very difficult, challenging questions. But he does so within the framework of faith. This is where it's important. As we look at these questions... Understand that he's asking these questions as someone who knows the sovereign Lord. So he says, will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Will he, has his steadfast love ceased? Are his promises at an end? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Now as we look at these questions and we think about what he's experiencing... This is actually calling into question the very character of God that God has revealed to His people in Exodus 34. This is Moses and God, and it says the Lord passed before Him. That's talking about Moses. And the Lord Himself proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping, love, or keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, who, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So as we look at this passage, we see the troubles that are affecting him within the framework of faith. He's trying to make sense of this. He's asking questions. These questions, if you don't understand this as understanding that he is actually looking at the revealed character of God in his word to his people and is, yes, calling into question, but he's calling these things into question within the framework of faith. There are troubles. My experiences don't feel very good. I'm looking at the promises of God and I'm saying, the promises of God that I see laid out in his word, they don't seem to be corresponding with what I'm feeling and what I'm experiencing at this very moment. So as such, we have to pull back a little bit and go, all right, if non-believers and believers all experience trouble, the non-believer experiences trouble because he's suffering and he's miserable and he doesn't like it. As a believer, we would look at these experiences and say, I'm suffering and I'm in trouble. But actually, the, the questions that the psalmist is asking are more profound and more troubling than any circumstance that might be personally affecting him. Because he, as someone who knows the sovereign Lord, is asking a question, is God, who has declared himself to be holy and faithful and, and with steadfast love, to his people, if that God has abandoned us, then we're in real trouble. Then the sufferings of this life leave us in a really bad situation. So if you read through this psalm, and if you stop at verse 9, you're actually in trouble. Because if you just stop at verse 9, you're looking at someone who has approached God and suffering with a framework of faith, and who, if you end at verse 9, it would be just looking at God and saying, have you really abandoned us? 
Have you really failed us? But praise be to God, it, the psalm doesn't end at verse 9. Because when we re review this, we have to understand that as you look through the psalms, this description, this declaration that God is a God of steadfast love occurs over 100 times in the psalms alone. So as Asaph is writing this psalm, he's saying, I'm experiencing trouble. So I, my own personal experience is, is really affecting me. And at the same time, he's doing this within a framework of faith. He's saying, I have my trouble on one side, and then I have the absolute revelation of the character of God on the other side. Which am I going to believe? Which will I trust in? My own experiences, my own feelings, my own emotions? Or in what God himself has revealed to me through his word as a declaration of his love that is everlasting, of his compassion, of his steadfast love? And he has to make this tension come together. Now, it's interesting as, you, as we look at what happens in the, the, the rest of this passage, because 10, verse 10 functions as a massive hinge. Now, if you look at your passage right here, and you just look at verse 10 thinking of it as the hinge, look at verses 1 through 9, and then verses 11 through 20, and you'll see a massive change in focus in this passage. The first half of the passage, it's primarily focused on a lot of I. I, 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 me, I, my suffering, my hands extended. I am suffering. I'm feeling these horrible things. I'm looking at God and saying, where are you? What are you doing? But then as he begins to realize that what he's experiencing is, is, is his own experience, but he's looking at the revealed character of God and he has to make balance on this. So he has to do the process, and you see this play out in the rest of the passage, because he changes his focus, as you look at the words, from a self-centered focus on his own suffering and his own pain and his own experience to the sovereign Lord of the universe who is holy, who works mighty deeds, who genuinely does care for his people. So as we look at this, I want to look at these, just these next few verses to say, in this transition, we have to understand that as a believer, we are operating within a framework of faith, and if we are looking at our own circumstances and we can't produce the answers from within ourselves because we can't, we must look to our Creator for our answers. And this is what we see because you'll notice that the focus changes. Because in verse 10, he says, I will appeal to this, to the ears of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Because as he's experiencing suffering in this moment, the best thing that you and I can do as we experience suffering in this moment is not to simply disregard the suffering, but to try to put it within a framework of faith where we look at the past, which is just what the psalmist is doing, what he's encouraging us to do. He's saying, I'll remember the deeds of the Lord from the past. The way that he has acted towards his people on their behalf since creation to me. Because when we pull back 
and view the way that God interacts and cares for His people outside of our immediate circumstance, we truly do see that God is faithful. When the Bible proclaims His steadfast love, we see it. And it gives us confidence and hope in our immediate circumstances. So just to, to look through this, it says He will ponder His work, meditate His way. He looks at the past to see how He has responded. But then He also acknowledges the present in verses 13 and 14. He says, Your way, O God, is holy. He's not saying, Oh God, you were once holy. He's saying, God, you are holy. Your way is holy. And then he asks another question. So you have these questions of, of questioning the character of God that we've run through earlier. And now you come to a new question. What God is great like our God? And then he continues to extol because praise erupts. And he says, you are the God who works wonder. You have made known your might among the peoples. With your arm you redeemed your people." the children of Jacob and Joseph. So as we look at suffering, we look at questions that we, own, that we have in our own lives, and we understand that the only way that we can understand our present suffering in relation to God is to understand that He really is holy, and He really does care for us. Because it says He redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. And praise God, through Christ, we are considered a part of Jacob and Joseph, He has redeemed us. So we know that we have a God that we can trust even in the midst of our troubles. Now, the title of today's passage is Songs in the Night. And I, I wanted to point this out because earlier he says that he seeks a song in the night and the song in the night that he brings up recalls God's steadfast love, but it brings him no peace. It says he remembers God and moans when he's thinking about his circumstance. But as he pulls back and sees the realities of this life within the framework of faith, not simply the frameworks of his own individual pain and suffering, he sings a different song. Because when you look at this, you see verses 16 through 20, it's a reference to the song that Moses sang after leading the people through the Red Sea. So this is the visual here. What was Moses experiencing immediately prior to God parting the Red Sea? There was a, an, a Red Sea, a great body of water, a people fleeing slavery, and an army pursuing them. Was there a way out? Was there a visible exit from this calamity? No. But what happened? God steps in because He sees His people. He cares for His people. Even though they're scared, they're suffering, they don't know what to do, God steps in and provides a way for them to escape the doom that is coming. And this is what He does for us. The best promise that we have, we may not escape death. We won't escape death. There, each of us will face trouble. But praise be to God, we have Jesus Christ who opens the sea, who allows us to enter into new life, to enter into promises to escape the death. And what happens for us, the experience here, as you look at verses 19 through 20, it's really interesting when you consider 
Your way was through the sea. There was a way that didn't seem possible, but God made the way for His people. God made His way for us through Christ. And what is the very next and last verse? Verse 20, God delivers His people, but praise be to God, He doesn't simply deliver His people and leave them. All right, you're good, I'm out. No, it says, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. If you're here and you're a Christian, this should resonate with you. Because as Christ has delivered you from death unto life, He doesn't simply leave you. He shepherds you. As we look at this, this idea of verse 20 where it says that He shepherds the flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Jesus Christ is the good and better shepherd. He is the good shepherd who cares for His people when they're afraid, when they're broken, when they're lost. He gathers them and shepherds them and cares for them even in the midst, just like when Jeremiah was talking about the disciples. In the boat, the storm's going, they don't know what's going to happen. Jesus wakes up and He's like, I got this. Y'all just calm down. Because Jesus genuinely does care for His people. Because He loves you. Now at the same time, He is our Good Shepherd. As a Good Shepherd, He doesn't simply say, no trouble will ever befall you, you, don't, you will never have any fears. Because what does He say? You look at John 16, He's talking to His disciples, and He says, in this world you will have trouble. You, me, we too will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. The good shepherd who's given his life for the sheep acknowledges that, yes, you will have trouble in this life. You may be afraid, but he says, take heart. I have overcome the world. So, brothers and sisters, as we look at God's word today, we see that we have troubles and we must approach these troubles within a framework of faith. Because when we approach these troubles with a framework of faith, we acknowledge that we will have trouble, and we can cry out. And when we cry out, we have a God that will hear us, and will respond to us, and will comfort us, and who will shepherd us. So if you're here and you know the sovereign Lord of the universe, you and your troubles can cry out and trust that He will hear you and care for you. And at the same time, if you're here and you have not placed your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't know the care of a loving, sacrificial, shepherding God, then the trouble that you experience will leave you in absolute despair crying out with no expectation of hope, of being heard, of being comforted. But if you're here and you see these things and you hear these things and you say, I want the comfort, I want the assurance that there is a God who loves me and cares for me, then this is available to you today. Turn from your sins. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ, who
who is the good shepherd, who is honest with you and says, you will face trouble, but I have overcome the world. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is the promise that God gives to all. If you're a believer, you've experienced this. If you don't yet know the Lord Jesus Christ, come to him. Experience this rest. Experience this comfort. Experience the great care of a loving God. With that, we give you thanks. Let's pray. God, we come to you today. We we thank you for your word. We thank you that you do not hold back the truths of this life, the dark moments, the suffering. But as such, you you tell us about these things and you, you put them within a framework of faith so that we can understand your goodness and your love and we can appreciate the sacrifice that Christ has made to bring us into your fold. So God, now we come to you and give you thanks for this word. I ask that you would encourage us and challenge us and draw us to yourself through it, especially in these very strange, troubling days. So God, go with us and help us in Jesus' name. Amen.